Good morning, Village. Let's find our seats. So, so we're going to shorten this a little bit because um, I don't have much time left. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, it's so good to have you guys with us, hear from you guys. We miss you too, your family, and um, just happened to be up at Village North. I know, I know that's, not what, that's not what you call the church, but uh, that's, that's what we call you guys. Um, good. It's weird to be up here without a dinosaur costume on. <laughs> For those of you that um, have seen some video, it never happened. Um, and so um, what was fun for me is seeing over 80 kids every day hear the gospel and hear about Jesus and then watching you all pour into them. And so I'd like to thank our VBS leadership team. You guys did a great job of bringing the kids together. Um, Also, all the volunteers. There were tons of of adults, older adults, younger adults, teens that just poured into these kids, and it was an amazing week. Um, And so thank you for that. Um, It's... uh, Again, this, this whole stage was transformed. It looked like Jurassic Park, but I'll get used to this again too. Um, what was fun is, is I would go up for worship in, in maybe a dinosaur costume, but, um, and I'd watch especially some of the songs, actually any of the songs, they would start to play and the kids would just go nuts because it, 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 the songs were fun songs for them and they just had to heard one, hear one or two notes And it brought up all that fun and excitement and their dancing and feel it in my bones is just an experience to watch. Um, And I still can't get that song out of my head. Thank you, Jenna. Um, But that's the way music works, right? God has given us music to, to dive into not just our brains, but our souls, our hearts, and, and, and help us worship Him, help us come to Him in that way. Now, certainly music can be used level as well and can be used for for um, just really evil purposes because it's bypassing some of our defenses but God gave music as a gift for our hearts and souls to draw close to him and and music has a way of doing that it has a way of of bringing back memories bringing back emotions and I can probably from whatever age you are go back to to your high school days and just pick a couple songs and list some of the words of those songs and the memories start flooding back. And that's the way music works. This summer we're going to do a series we did last summer. We're going to continue it called Summer Psalms. We're going to take a little break from from Acts. We did our reading service last week. We've done two-thirds of Acts. But with the summer, especially with vacations and a variety of things, I, I am looking forward to a time as a church of just being refreshed in who God is, being refreshed in His greatness, being refreshed in the cross and His redemption, being refreshed in His love for us, His care for us. And so the summer is a great time to do it. It's it's a great time to um, be able to see God work in that way through Psalms and through some of the, the emotions of the Psalms and the truth of the Psalms. Even this morning, this morning was a crazy morning here with internet going down and live stream going down and things failing. And it's just, I don't know why it's always Sunday morning. I, I have my suspicions. But, um, and um, just hearing the congregation, hearing church family worship sort of brought me back and, and brought me back to reflecting on our great God, on our holy God, and, and 
reminding me of why we're here and, and sort of centering. And that's what Psalms have a way of doing. On the first part of your notes, I have a um, summary of what we did a year ago. We, in our introduction to Psalm, we dove into some of the technicalities. And I just want to quickly go through that because I want to get to Psalm 15, which is a great psalm. And much like Psalm 1, serves as an overview of what many of the psalms talk about. But just to go through the first page of your notes, and, and you can thank me later, but I filled in all the blanks on the first page. And so that way we can just sort of summarize. The second page, you still got to fill some out. But um, remember that the purpose of the Psalms is to direct our whole self to worship the Lord. Not just our brains, not just our hearts, not just our actions. It's to direct our whole self to worship Yahweh and bring Him glory. And that, that's my summary for the, the whole book of Psalms. Even though it talks about different themes and different things, the word for Psalms comes from the root word for song. It means to make music or to sing praise. And so what we have is one of the first songbooks, one of the first hymnals. And we get 150 songs that they sing. And some of them were like, yeah, we can sing that. We're going to close today's service with, with part of Psalm 24, just word for word at times. Some of the psalms we read and we're like, how could you sing that? Draw curses on my enemies. You know, it's a pretty cool psalm. Um, <laughs> but God wants everything. He wants every part of our lives. He wants our joy. He wants our emotions. He wants our hurt. He wants our pain. He wants our heads. He wants our brains. We want to worship Him with all of our heart. And so Psalms captures all those things. Captures our emotions. We can go to God when we're laughing or when we're crying. And they will always direct us back to our Creator. They are all about God. Just as our worship should be. So a couple of the the points I have in there, just because some of you weren't with us last year when we started this, it is online if you want to go back and and listen to the the intro to Psalms um, from our Summer Psalm series last last year. But just a couple of reminders, the Psalms are musical poems. They're songs, songs and prayers to God. Um, They're really designed for corporate worship. And so they were were primarily for when the the, um, people of God would come together, they would use these for worship. There were other things that it helped people memorize and the, the power of repetition. But it really is, is a, was a way and a book of the Bible that expresses a lot of emotion and action and metaphors and, and really a little bit of logic, but it's taking that other side and saying these can be merged together. These are all part of what it means to walk with God. As we said last time, there are many different authors, at least seven different authors, and we're not sure, probably a lot more since 50 of them are anonymous. Um, the dates are all the way from Moses all the way to the exile. And so, and, and yes, David and Solomon were a bulk of them, but the, this was a songbook. And whenever God would do something in his people, a new song would be written. Just like today, I was talking with someone this week and looking at, at worship songs you can look at even current worship songs and there are themes that come out depending on what God's church is going through. So in the last three years, I'm amazed at how many worship songs mention victory because we're praying for victory. We're praying for God's power, God to work. And, and you can go through different eras because as God does a work, He has created in us a desire for a new song. And so that's what we see in Psalms as it goes through sort of the history of Israel. Um, It's organized into five books or volumes. I list those in your notes, sometimes grouped by themes. 
Um, but I want to mention the types of psalms and remind us of that because we're going to get a flavor of a lot of those this summer as, as we start this series today. The first type of psalms that I think we're most familiar with is songs of praise. Praise, just describing our praise to God, describing who God is. Songs of joy, songs of, of listing His attributes, songs of God's kingship, songs of, of looking forward to being at home with the Lord and being with Him. And so that's the one we think of most when we, when we think of psalms. But the second category is actually the most common if you, if you were to list all the psalms out. And that's song, psalms of lament. And we talked a lot about those last time because psalms of lament express raw emotion in an honest way. And you know what? God can take it. God knows and He says, give those to me because the psalmist then gives those to God and ends by coming back to the truth of who God is. And it's a song of trust, of confidence in God, even when we don't see it in our current situation. And so really the psalms of laments, all except one, come back to that. Uh, the psalms of lament for me are reminding ourselves of the truth of who God is and allowing that truth to inform our emotions rather than our emotions to decide our truth. And so psalms of lament, we're, we're going to cover some of those this summer again. If they're the most common, it's really hard to get away from them. Um, there's also songs of thanksgiving. Just thanksgiving for what has happened, for answered prayer, for how God has worked. Remembrance and celebration is where this category is. And then finally, the fourth category is didactic psalms. And really psalms of teaching. Psalms of truth. And there's several things that come into it. This morning's psalm is what we call a wisdom psalm. And it's a psalm just of the truth of life. It'll read a lot like a proverb in some ways, but they would sing it to remind themselves of truth. And, and I'm reminded in the New Testament what, what instructions are given for worship. We're to come together and instruct or teach each other through our music. We're to encourage each other through our music. And so worship in the Bible is always a corporate event. It's coming together and being able to train and teach each other, remind each other of who God is. That's why it is so important in a church for worship you'd be able to hear each other and see each other. Because that is how we, we take some of the passages out of Ephesians and Colossians and what happens in the Psalms, and that is how we encourage each other. There is something uh, about someone next to me that knows what I'm going through that sings these songs or, or knows what you're going through that sings these songs together and it reminds us of truth. That's how songs, that, that's how they teach. And that's, that's what some of the psalms are, wisdom psalms, messianic psalms that tell us about the coming Savior and look forward to the Savior. Um, songs for different occasions. We, we talked... Um, Last time we did some of the Psalms of Ascents. As you come to worship, they would sing psalms to prepare themselves for worship. And then some of the other categories you have there. And then finally, some things to, to recognize. I told you we'd go through the, the intro stuff really fast. Some things to recognize. Uh, be looking for parallelism. Psalms are poetry, and, and Hebrew poetry especially tended to use two stanzas that either were parallel to each other in thought or antithetical in thought. And by, by looking at that, you can understand psalms better. Anyone ever read a psalm and like, I have no idea what it's talking about? Yeah, because it's symbolism. It's picturesque. And so study helps, but understanding that the, the, the phrases tend to help you understand what it's saying is also really helpful. 
Um, understanding the historical context. Those little titles at the top of your psalms, those are helpful. What is it about? We're going to be looking at Psalm 15 today. The title at the top says a psalm of David. And so we, we can narrow that now. You're thinking, David, David did a lot of psalms, lived a long life. Um, but in some of the historical context, and in looking at some of the early church thoughts and the scholarship, it looks as if David wrote this after bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And uh, the, the, the second try, that actually worked. And, um, and so he brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and so we're going to get wording like Holy Hill and in his, his, who can dwell in his, his dwelling or his tent, because it would have been a tabernacle at that point. And so historical information like that can really help us understand a psalm. Um, but also the last point there, reading ahead, um, read and relate to psalms with emotion. And some of you, that's, that's really helpful, and you love psalms because it expresses some of the things that you feel deeply. For others, emotion may be a nasty word, but it's not. It's, emotions are given to us by God. And the psalms capture those, but then shape those with God's truth. And, and I think the, the, the main point at the bottom there Psalms don't just express emotions, they shape emotions. Psalms don't just express emotions, they shape emotions with good theology. We don't often think of Psalms as a, a book of theology. We go to Paul's letters for that, or Peter, or something like that. But if you dig into the Psalms and look at the answers for some of the, the real problems of life, it always comes back to theology, who God is. An example of that, Psalm 42, 5 and 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? That's, that's a low place, right? That's a raw emotion. I'm at the bottom. And then the very next verse, hope in God. I, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. And you see the psalm taking this emotion that we all feel, I would, bet, I would bet most of us have felt a little cast down sometime in the last five years. And this is saying, no, my hope is still in God. I'm still going to praise Him. I'm going to choose to worship. He is my salvation. I can trust Him in that. So if my soul is cast down, therefore I will remember Him. And I will come back to Him. And that's a, that's a great illustration of, I think, how we read Psalms. They express emotions, but then they shape emotions by drawing us back to who God is. Okay, so that's our whirlwind reminder of Psalms. It's been a year. I don't remember every message from a year ago I've listened to. And so um, hopefully that brings us back. What I'd like to do today is start this series with Psalm 15. Like I said, it's one of the wisdom Psalms, um, very similar to Psalm 1 that we started the series with last summer. So turn with me to Psalm 15 in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under a chair right around you. Please grab that, open it up. Psalms will be pretty much right in the middle. And, and look for Psalm 15. We're going to go through all five verses of the chapter today. And we're going to get through it. <laughs> this psalm has been a rich psalm. I chose it a number of weeks ago to start this series in. And, and God has um, just really blessed and convicted and challenged as I've, I've studied through it. And I hope he does the same thing for you. I'd like to start by just reading the psalm. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? 
He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eye a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Five short verses that give us incredible wisdom for how we can be in God's presence, for what pleases God. And it starts with what I'm calling the most important question. And in verse 1 there, and this is a question-answer format, and some have theorized that maybe people even in the house of the Lord or in the tabernacle, maybe there would be a priest or someone outside that would ask this question as they came in. It would be sort of like asking, are you ready for worship? Are you ready for worship today? And so it starts with, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? And so the most important question, and I think a burning question that the world, even the lost world still is struggling with, how can I have a close relationship with God? How can I enter into His presence in worship? What's required? What characteristics are required? Now some will go, okay, what... What, you know, certain rituals are required? And do I have to wash my hands a certain way? And there's all kinds of externals is where people go with this. We're going to find out that's not where the psalmist goes at all. He's going to deal with the heart and the internal. But how can I draw close to God? Even as believers, there are times that we're dry. There are times that we're, we're just wondering where God is. And the psalmist here asks an, a, a vital question. How can I be in relationship with God? This is why Jesus came. This is why He died on the cross to pay for our sins so we can have this close relationship with Him. So we can be in His presence. And so this psalm answers one of the great great questions of life, universe, and everything for those that are um, Hitchhiker fans. It's an amazing question. How can I come to worship pleasing to God? Maybe you could ask it a different way. What does a man or woman of God look like? And this isn't going to give us an exhaustive list, but it gives us 11 things to think about that the psalmist thinks about. Keep in mind, this is a song. So they probably use this as an as a, a opener, um, something to come into worship. Who can sojourn in your tent? Who can dwell in your holy hill? And then the people would respond with reminding themselves of what God is looking for. Here, the psalmist David, he wanted to enjoy the benefits of being a resident in God's house, enjoying fellowship, enjoying God's protection, enjoying God's provision. These are vital things and wonderful things. And so in verse 1 we have, who can sojourn in your tent and who can dwell on your holy hill? And the tent referenced the tabernacle. At this point, the tabernacle was on the holy hill or on Zion because the temple hadn't been built yet. And so this literally is, how can I come in to, to the place of worship and worship? Now, there were all kinds of things in culture that were barriers to that. You, you had to do some of those ritualistic things. You had to um, bathe and make yourself clean and some of those other things. And so there was restricted access. Only Jews could go to certain parts. And, and this, this psalm, though, reminds us that coming into God's presence is available for everyone. It's available for everyone with a heart that seeks God. 
And so, so really this verse combines two thoughts. When they think of tent, the tabernacle, the holy hill, Zion, the holy place of worship, the first thought that it's, it's bringing in is, is the holiness of worship. Coming to worship is not a light, trivial thing. We are coming every Sunday morning when we come, we are coming into the presence of God with our church family, with brothers and sisters in Christ, in front of God Himself, in front of the throne to worship. And so this, this question brings in the holiness of worship and the tension there because most of us haven't lived completely holy lives this week. Most of us, I would dare say all of us, have things to confess and things to repent of. And so right from the start you have this tension of, and this is why the question, how can I do this? I know my heart. I know some of the crud I've thought this week. I know some of the the anger. I know some of the frustration. I know some of the envy. And so the psalmist is going to answer that. This is what it looks like. But then I think the final answer is in Jesus Christ. And so we have a holiness of worship. And, and the reason why I think the final answer, this points to Jesus Christ is as they came to the tabernacle, as they came to the holy hill, what they had to do to answer this question was bring a sacrifice for sin. They had to bring a sacrifice that would pay for their sin and then they were clean to be able to come into worship. It's no difference today. We just have Jesus Christ. And He is the final sacrifice that covers every sin. And so He is the answer for how can we enter the holiness of worship. But the other thought that it combines, the holiness of worship, but the relationship of worship. Because catch the words sojourn and dwell. And these are the ideas of intimacy, of hospitality, of personally knowing God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God, this psalm says you can know God. You can be in relationship with Him. You can be close to Him because He wants that and has created a way for that to happen. And so the the question, it's not just the holiness, but how can I sojourn? How can I live in your tent? How can I be welcome in your tent? Enter, dwell on your holy hill. How can I be family here? And it's a picture of the worshiper as an eager guest seeking God and how to be accepted into the family. And so the psalmist answers with what the heart has to look like. Everything about the question in verse 1 implies seeking God's presence. And so one of the lessons right from the start, even with asking the question, is do we come seeking God's presence Sunday morning? Do we come expecting God to do something through the Word, through worship, but through His people as we worship together? Are we coming seeking God? As I talk with people, when, when people say, ah, I just don't get anything out of church, almost always I can come back to whether or not you're seeking God when you come. Because if you seek God, He will show up. In His Word, in the truth of His Word. And so everything about this question says, the, the, from the psalmist says, I'm seeking God. Not quite sure how to do it all the time. I need God to, to make a way, but I'm seeking God. And so verses 2 through 5, the other four verses of the psalm answer the question, how can I draw close to God? How can I worship 
in His presence. And we're going to look at five categories that encompass all 11 things. So we're grouping some of them. And, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but the psalmist is going to some key issues that they would have been dealing with, key issues of, of the heart. And so the first thing he mentions is integrity and character. Verse 2, integrity and character. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And if, you, if you're okay underlining in your Bible or highlighting, I would, I would highlight walks, does, and speaks. He who walks blamelessly, this has to do with godly character, integrity and character. Um, blamelessly has this idea not of perfection, but of that there be no charge that can be held against you. Which means if there has been sin, if there has been imperfection, it's been dealt with. We've repented of it. We've apologized. We've given it to God. Integrity and character here and, and walking blamelessly also involves just the whole heart. That, that our heart is sound. It's genuine. It's the real deal. We aren't one way with, with in church and one way outside of church. We aren't one way with one group of people and another way with others. That's not blamelessly. That's hypocrisy. And, and, and so right from the start, the psalmist says, he who walks blamelessly. And so the first part of integrity and character is godly character. A godly reputation with, with that, that infiltrates the entire lifestyle. Whenever walk is used in the Word, it, it's not just saying I walk to the door as a godly person. If I'm talking about how I walk, it's dealing with my whole life. My reputation, I think, is a, a good way to think of it in today's terms. What are you known for? What permeates all of your life, not just Sunday morning? And so it's living God's way according to God's rules. Now, how can we have this kind of integrity and consistency? And and the only way to do it is if we start from the inside and we have a heart that's seeking God and then God changes the outside actions. You know, there is a rise of, of anxiety in our culture. And we could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about COVID. We could talk about social media. We could talk about all those things. But anxiety comes usually from two things in my experience. It probably is too simplistic. But number one, as we see in um, Philippians 4, it comes from not trusting God. Not leaving things to God. The other way that I see anxiety in our culture today a lot is when people try to live dual lives. When their lives are inconsistent, it creates this constant anxiety because you're constantly trying to figure out which image you've put up in front of which people. And I, and I watch it tear people apart and it comes out usually as anxiety in a lot of areas. And the psalmist says, walk blamelessly. Walk consistently. Have an integrity in who you are. Say you seek God and act like you seek God. He's going to go there. But it starts on the inside. The foundation has to be right, right? Sort of like Buara out here. There is this pothole right outside the church's driveway. Anyone hit that? They fix that puppy every six months. Fix. The problem is they're not fixing the foundation. So it just, it just erodes out under it. It sinks through. And, and that's what happens when we try to live a godly character, when we try to walk blamelessly, and we don't have a heart that's seeking God. It has to come from a genuine walk with God. 
And so godly character is part of, of point number one here, this integrity and character. Second thing is right actions. Integrity and actions. A, a person that is, is acceptable in God's sight, pleasing to God, does what is right. Makes right choices no matter what. And so, whereas godly character, the first phrase, walk blamelessly, the second phrase, does what is right, is the external that matches the internal of the first phrase. Not what feels right. Not doing what we want, but doing what God has said is right. Even if it's inconvenient. This is the James 2 faith and works discussion. If you have faith, it will show in your works. If it's not showing in your works, we need to ask the question of, is is there genuine saving faith there? And the third thing out of verse 2 there, and speaks truth in his heart. And so we have integrity in character, integrity in actions, now integrity of speech. And, and so, and, and this actually is both external and internal, in internal. The idea is speaking truth around. So, so we're someone that always speaks truth. Someone that is known for speaking truth. Doesn't hedge the truth. Doesn't, you know, exaggerate the truth. Doesn't say one thing to get out of one situation and another thing to get out of another situation. Someone that says the truth no matter the consequences. No matter where the chips fall. But the psalmist goes deeper to speaking truth in the heart. Are we making sure we're believing truth in our heart? We, we have to ingest the truth of God's Word. Is there consistency where our heart matches our speech? And so the first category that the psalmist says is how we answer this question, how can I draw close to God? Integrity and character. In our character, in our actions, in our speech. God despises hypocrisy. He despises hypocrisy. In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And he goes on to say the judgment that's going to come on to them because of this. Because their hearts and their speech were different. And God says, I want all of you. I want all of you, even if it's ugly, even if it's junk. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with me. Be honest with those around you. And God says, let me deal with it then. Let me heal it. We go to verse 3, second category of how we draw near to God. Godly care in relationships or godly love in relationships. So he's moved from the heart in verse 2. Now he's going to go to our external friendships, our external relationships. Verse 3, who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, and ta- nor takes up a reproach against a friend. So verse 2 had three things we should do. Verse 3 has three things, yeah, don't do this. These are all things that destroy relationships. These are all things that destroy relationships with brothers and sisters made in the image of God. As I read this verse, and we'll, we'll dive into those three things in a moment, I'm reminded we cannot come to God and worship successfully if we're not living out His love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot separate the two. And I've watched people try over and over, and sometimes we can do this intellectually by studying God's Word but not practicing it horizontally with our relationships. Sometimes there's just this... this detachment between Sunday morning and our lives during the week. Sometimes that, I mean, that can happen in all kinds of situations. 
And it is offensive to God. And it keeps us from worshiping and growing and drawing near to God. And so one of the ways we're able to draw near to God is if we love others well. If we treat others in a godly way. And so these three things not to do. And, and it's interesting to me that these three things immediately follow truthfulness in speech. And, and these verses, I think, are connected. So the psalmist is just that we're to be true in our, tr- honest in our speech, in our heart. But that doesn't mean we just go off on everyone around us. And I've heard this. Well, I'm just being honest. You're a jerk. You're scum of the earth. And I hope I never see you again. I, I'm just being honest. You wouldn't want me to lie. No, I'd want you to be changed by the love of God. <laughs> um, let's, let's be honest. Um, sorry, there's my honesty. <laughs> and so this is, this is sort of a, a, um, a guideline for how to put the, the love for each other into practice. And the first thing is don't slander with your tongue. He who does not slander with his tongue. And again, slandering, which, which literally in this case, lying about someone behind their back. Spreading scandal about someone. Spreading evil reports that are lies that, that, and not dealing with the person. This is always divisive in the house of God. And, and this is a way that Satan will come in and tear people apart. And so we want to be careful of our speech about others. And so letter A there, watch your speech about others. Avoid spreading lies and sinful words about others. And then the second phrase is watch your actions to others. So watch your speech about others. Watch your actions to others. And, and, and the phrase there in verse 3, and does no evil to his neighbor. And, and it, it's not just talking about the person living next door to you. I think we all know that. It, it's dealing with anyone we come in contact with as Jesus answered that with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so... We're to watch our speech about others, but watch our actions to others, sinful or evil actions, often out of anger, revenge, bitterness. We say things that we don't mean. We say things that aren't true. We do things that are harmful because we want to get back at them. They have to pay. My family will sometimes laugh at this because sometimes on the road I'm like, a person can't do that. They have to pay, and God has ordained me. I'm doing better. But we've got to watch our actions to others. Does no evil to his neighbor. It's like blameless in verse 1. It's, it's how blameless comes out. One of the ways. Are we loving others well? And then finally the third command there, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. And so let her see there, I have watch your tone and attacks on others. So we have watch your speech about others, watch your actions to others, watch your tone and attacks on others. Takes up a reproach literally means to cast a slur or to make a personal attack on a friend. And, and, and sometimes I've seen this abused with, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just holding him accountable or her accountable. No, this actually says we have to be careful how we do that. Because if the language we use is accusatory, if the language we use is inflammatory, that is sin. And, and we do disguise this as sharing our concern. But it's almost always sinful language rooted in pride. Harsh, over-the-top, demeaning language, assumptions that we make. All of this fits into not taking up reproach against a friend or casting a slur against a friend. There are ways to hold accountable. 
And we see that in the New Testament. We see that in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, if, so, if, if you know your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, go to them. Talk it out. But do it in a God-honoring way. Not a spiritually abusive way. See, bitterness festers and breeds and then begins to filter all future interactions to where we can't see truth. Proverbs warns of all these things. They all stop worship. That's why Jesus addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, out of this point, my question would be, who do you need to apologize to today? Who do you need to repent to? This is where it's, it's just super helpful to have friends that, are, that we can sort of assess our relationships with. Assess how we're dealing with things. And then go and make things right. So we have two things so far, one dealing with the heart, one dealing with our relationships of how we draw near to God and live in a way that's pleasing to Him. Beginning of verse 4 gives us the third category, purity and affections, I'm calling it. I struggled with what word to use here, but um, the verse will explain it more than I can. But the person who despises those who do evil and honor those who fear God is able to come close to God. And, And what this refers to is having the heart of God that I love the things God loves and I hate the things God lo- hates. And I, I'm not talking be mean and ostracize and, and, and get revenge on those people, but this is an inward disposition about sin. Do I celebrate sin or does sin bug me to my core? And, and, and so the verse there, in, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. And and it's worded in a way of those that are practicing sin, those that are practicing godliness. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is a verse of allegiance. And so when I say purity and affections, if I say I love God, purity and affections means I love God and everything God's about. If I'm loving the things God hates, if I'm loving the world, that's not purity and affections. That's division and affections. That's horrible. And so this is a declaration of where someone stands and what they admire. So he says, in, those in whose eyes a vile person is despised. And vile there doesn't mean just someone that annoys us. It actually is very clear it's someone living in sin and deceit. And that should never be celebrated. And then the, the corresponding phrase to that, because this, these are all parallels, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Honor meaning to give high value to. And so really, if we're to put this into practice, purity and affections, what kinds of things are we drawn to? What kinds of things do we honor? What kinds of people? But the first thing when we think of things, we should think the, the low-hanging fruit is always entertainment. And I think it's low-hanging because almost all of us can struggle with that pretty easily. Do we, are, we, are we drawn to entertainment that is pleasing to God? Would we be cool if Jesus sat there and watched every TV show with us? I think you really liked Ben Kenobi. But, um, sorry, Obi-Wan. <laughs> I think about that. I, I remember that as a teenager, shows that I liked, that suddenly my, one of my parents would come and watch it with me. And I was suddenly mortified. Things I had never seen in it before, I'm like, oh, wow. Or, oh, Wow. This is what it's talking about. Do we despise evil? Or do do we enjoy watching it? 
Do we honor those who fear the Lord? God's character is our standard for judgment of what we do, what we like, and what we love. It's got to be God's character. That's the truth the psalmist is trying to draw us back to. You know, he's talking about people here. And I think that's very intentional because the kind of people we hang around, the kind of people we choose as our friends, often defines our direction. I can, I spent many years, too long, not too many, but fun years as a youth pastor. Um, so, some of you are in my youth groups, so I can't say too many years as a youth pastor. I love you guys. Um, the body hurt after a while. But one of the key ingredients that I could tell, and not 100%, not a prophet in this, but I could often tell where someone was at and where they were going by the kinds of friends they chose. It was that impactful. And, and sometimes someone was walking with God and then got in with a bad crowd and it was just a matter of time before they fell. Sometimes they were putting on a show at church and I knew from their friends that they were different outside of church. What friends do you have? As adults, that makes a difference too. Who are we hanging out with? What kinds of language is it? What kind of speech? Is it encouraging? Psalm 139, 21 and 22 says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And again, this isn't making a value judgment on the person, but on the actions that we just can't be around that. Or we will speak to it and try to be God's word to it. James 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That's strong language, guys. That's saying if I love the world, if I'm friendship with the world, that's enmity. That's not just a separation, but a, a, a hatred almost between me and God. How does our Heavenly Father feel when we are drawn to the things that put His Son on the cross? That's hard. And we need to start looking at some of these verses and say, where's my heart? Where are my affections? And so the one who's able to come into God's presence has a purity of affections that are, that are informed by the character of God. Number four, because we need to get through them. <laughs> Sacrificial trustworthiness is the next phrase. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That was one of those lines I read over and over and, and studied. Like, what does that mean? Basically, it's saying who keeps his word even if it costs him dearly. Who keeps his word even if it costs him dearly. Have you ever made a promise and then you get further down the line and like, Ugh, I can't do that or it's going to cost me. In business, sometimes I would, I would do estimates and quotes to people and we'd get down the line and there were things I missed. Now, if, it's, if it's something that was never presented, that's different. But if it was something I missed... Integrity said, I honor that even at personal cost. I gave my word. And so what this is saying, do we have sacrificial trustworthiness? If we give our word, will we stick to it even when it's hard? Even when it's inconvenient? Even when a better offer comes up? Will we keep our word? You know, 
the business contracts came to my mind first. But it can be even, even in, in relationships in the church. We promise to hang out. We promise to go to lunch. Or we promise to help someone with what? Something. And then a better offer comes up. And we're like, oh, I can't do that. All of that is speaking to our trustworthiness. And what God is saying is, someone that's walking with me will swear to his own hurt. He will keep his word even if it hurts and not change. God's honor is more important than our wallet, our comfort, or our desires. Because we represent his honor. And finally, the last category, verse 5. The person that is pleasing to God, the man or woman of God, is honorable with money. And this is one that maybe we wouldn't put in our list, but it, it really sort of is where the, the rubber meets the road. And so verse 5, "...who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent." And so it's saying he's honorable in his dealings with money. He doesn't use money or situations surrounding money to coerce or to misuse people. Especially at the time if someone was low on money and didn't have a way to make money and they needed certain things, you could price gouge. Not that that ever happens today. Um, It's saying price gouging is sin. Even if you say, oh, I could get it though. No, this is saying, look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, how can we deal honorably with them? How can we act in a way that shows that we love them and not use our money for, for purposes that destroy other people? And the opposite is true here, even though it's not explicitly said, but uses our resources to help others, to draw people close. Now at the time... For, for Israelites, you couldn't charge a fellow Israelite interest. And it was because of, of um, not taking advantage of. Because the needy would be in distress, there would be, usually be a crop failure or a death or something like that. So it's saying, you know what? Be open-handed. Give to them without interest. Now, now we do know from Jesus and, and some other things, this isn't talking about commercial loans. This is, isn't talking about business dealings and some of the, just the normal things that happen. There. We should be honorable in those. But it's not saying that all interest is wrong. The context here is misusing people, abusing people. And so we don't take a bribe at another's expense either. We put people as more important than money. And so it's really interesting because in these, we have several of these that are dealing with the heart. We have um, integrity of character, purity in in affections that are dealing with the heart. But then we also have the outward approach to that where we are loving in our way we deal with each other. We are trustworthy to the point of sacrifice and we use our resources to help each other. This is the man or woman that is pleasing to God, that comes into His presence. And so we get the conclusion in 5b. He who does these things shall never be moved, shall never be shaken, shall never be in turmoil, both in this life and in our relationship with God, their place is secure with God. And so these qualities are where our heart should be. This is what we should be seeking. Who can come and worship God? Who can be in relationship with God? And we have this list. And something I mentioned earlier that I want to end with, this list should drive us back to Christ. 
Because I would bet this list, even of just these 11 things, we have fallen in this week. And just like they would come to the house of the Lord and bring sacrifices to be right with God, we can come to Jesus Christ and repent and He will offer His forgiveness freely, forever, and fully if we repent and come to Him. See, we're not going to put these 11 things on the door and have a perfect check on the door as you come in next week. It'd be empty. But the idea is that through Christ's righteousness, we can come into the presence of God. That's the key to this psalm. Not to live this ritualistic, perfect life, but have a heart that seeks God, that ultimately the sacrifices for them were fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So are we ready to worship? Are we ready to enter God's presence? And I want to come and I want to stand together and I want to sing a song. It's a little bit older song, but it's right out of Psalm 24 that asks that question. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? Familiar question and answer, right? Almost identical. And the answer is, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Let's stand and sing with our hearts. Make this our prayer today that we will come to worship ready. We will come to worship pure, dealing with the sin of the weak, dealing and letting Jesus forgive that. Let's sing and worship together. We bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we come humbly and say we, we sometimes, often maybe, don't come ready for worship with a heart that's seeking You, a heart that's seeking forgiveness and seeking to be clean. So Lord, right now, as Your people, strip away the stuff from the weak and take that. We give that to You and put that under Your blood, under Your sacrifice. And Lord, help us to be a people that just love singing together, love studying the Word together and praying together and lifting each other up a generation that seeks you. So Lord, we end by singing your word to you. Help us to put that into practice this week, God. We love you and praise you. In your name, amen.